Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody tonight. Um, am I on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Okay. Uh, it's especially good to see the Criders again. It has been a long time. It's been several years since last saw you guys. I don't even know if the last time you had your reunion that we got to see you. So welcome. It's good to see you again. Um, this summer, we're doing a variety of topical sermons. You know, the last couple of years, we've been in particular books of the Bible. We were in Ephesians and then Daniel and Exodus and James. But this summer, we're just kind of paying attention to what the Lord is speaking to us and doing some topical things. And so this is just kind of a standalone sermon. And I want to start by saying that as Christians, we live by a certain set of beliefs. And, you know, some of the most fundamental beliefs that we have, we recite in the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to do toward the end of tonight. And so if you say, if you declare that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and from, then will, from there will come to judge the living and the dead, then that belief should affect how you actually live. You should live in anticipation of a coming judgment. And so if someone were to ask you, what is the difference between Christians and non-Christians, you might be tempted to say, well, we have certain beliefs that non-Christians don't hold or live by. And that would be true as a statement. But here's another truth. Most non-Christians don't give a hoot whatsoever about what we believe. They do not care. It is of no interest to them. It simply makes no difference to their lives. And they don't feel like they're missing out on anything by not believing in much of what we believe in. So, for example, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We look at all that there is and say, God made that. Well, non-Christians might say, well, fine. I believe it was a cosmic accident that happened at some point in time. And if there is somehow a God who made it, then he made a fairly crummy world with its wars and with all these other problems that it has. So we can't really pitch the good news there. We believe in Jesus Christ, through whom we have been forgiven of our sin. And that's a tremendous relief to those of us who are aware of our sin. As we just sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Well, non-Christians may say, well, I don't really believe that there is such a thing as sin. And I don't believe in God, so who is there to offend with my sin? We believe that God is making us to be like his son Jesus in our character. We're being made holy. Well, a non-Christian may say to that, yeah, but I think that I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but I do good things. And I wouldn't want to be a holy roller who's always frowning at everybody having fun anyway. We believe that we, the church, are the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters, and we have been refamilied into God's very own family. And for those who grew up in very tough family conditions, that's, that's one of the things that they most treasure when they come to faith. It's incredibly good news, but a non-Christian may say, yeah, but I've got friends. I've got a community. I have people that I hang out with. I have people that I trust, people that I love. I think of Billy Joel's famous verse in his song, Only the Good Die Young. He says, well, some say there's a heaven for those who await, and some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun, and only the good die young. So that's out. 
So where does this leave us? Are there any distinctly Christian beliefs that a non-Christian would want to have? They would actually be disappointed that they don't have and that they could actually wish that they believed and held. Well, I can think of one. There's probably more than one, but there's one that I specifically want to talk about tonight, and it's this. We believe that God is looking out for us and that we are not alone. We believe that God is looking out for us and that we are not alone. We believe that we are personally cared for by the maker and sustainer of all that there is. And he is intensely interested in our lives, what happens to us, and who we are becoming. And I think most reasonable people, not, not the extremely hard-bitten people, but reasonable people who reject the claims of the Christian faith would still like for there to be somebody who is looking out for them. Very few people want it to be true that there is no one outside of time and space who knows them and cares about their lives. Being abandoned and dying alone are some of the deepest human fears that we have. I don't know if you've ever seen the 2002 movie Signs that was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starred Mel Gibson. Um, If you've seen it, you might be tempted to think that it is an alien movie because it has aliens in it, and that's how it was built. You might be tempted to think that it's an alien movie, but it's not. It's a movie about faith. Deep down, it's a movie about faith. And the main character's name is Graham Hess. He's played by Mel Gibson. And as the movie opens, he's reeling from the death of his wife, the sudden tragic death of his wife in a car accident six months earlier. And he was an Episcopal priest, but he's lost his faith due to his crushing grief. And at a critical point in the movie, when people are wondering if God is going to save them from this alien invasion, there are these 14 lights in the sky that, that Graham refers to. And he gives his point of view on the whole thing to his brother Merrill. And he says this, people break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck, just a happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in the sky in a very suspicious way. For them, the situation is 50-50. Could be bad, could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. But there's a whole lot of people in group number one. When they see those 14 lights, they're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there will be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, that sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? And having laid out both options to his brother, this former priest summarizes his thoughts in utter despair and says, there is no one looking out for us. We are all alone. What a desolate, soul-crushing belief to have and to live by. It's to live without hope. 
And very often it is grief and tragedy that push people to that point, brings them to such a place where they don't believe that there is somebody looking out for them. But we believe that God is looking out for us and that we are never alone, even in the midst of grief and tragedy. That even in one's dying moment, even if it's a senseless and violent death, we believe that God is with that person in the moment of death. Even those who reject God and who push him away consistently, push away one who is truly with them and who cares about their lives. So we are personally cared for by the maker and sustainer of all things, and we are never alone. So there are three components to that claim that I want to get into. And the first one is that we are personally cared for. We're personally cared for. And there's no better way in Scripture of illustrating this than with Psalm 23. And you've probably heard it numerous times, but I want to encourage you to listen to it with fresh ears for the Father's personal care for the psalmist's life and for ours. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So think of some of the things that the psalmist says. The Father knows what we need at all times. The Father knows what we need. The Father knows when we need rest and when we need refreshment. The Father knows our weaknesses and our infirmities. And rather than excuse us because of them, he calls us up to growth. The Father walks with us in the midst of our fears and our dark moments. And the Father sends his goodness and mercy after us like two good old watchdogs over our lives. In God's infinite wisdom, he decided that there should be a you. He decided that you should exist and live on his planet that he made. But not just exist, he created you to have relationship with him and to make that relationship with him the foundation of your life. And Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says that he's transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so when we were imprisoned by sin and didn't even know that we wanted to be rescued, the father had provided a way for our rescue from the domain of darkness. Isn't that good? And he indwells us with his own spirit so that we can reject the corrosive ways of the world and progress further up and further in into a life of love and joy and peace. The Father personally cares for our lives. And another very familiar verse, I'm sure to all of us, comes from Matthew 6. But as you listen to it, I want you to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that the Father is looking out for me? So Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And then skipping down a little bit. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is the Father. And Jesus came preaching the Father, what the Father is really like. Jesus wanted his followers to know what the Father is really like, and he's a Father who personally cares for us. Amen? Amen. The second part, we're personally cared for by the maker and sustainer of all that there is. Now, on the one hand, it's really nice to say that the Father is looking out for us But that is only comforting and confidence building if the father is a particular kind of person. So first, the father has to want to help us. And second, the father must be able to help us. So if the father wants to help us, but he isn't able to see his plans through, then we can't really have confidence in his ability to help us because something out there could thwart him. But if the Father is able to help us and he doesn't want to, then we can't have confidence in his goodness or his mercy. So he has to be able to want, he has to be able to help us and he has to want to help us. And God does want to help us and he is able to help us. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, but he who sits in the heavens laughs, right? The Father is the maker of all that there is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is nothing outside or beyond God. There is no competing power with God. God is undefeated and will always remain undefeated. Whatever in history has looked like God's death and loss became resurrection and victory. And it will be that all the way to the end. And you and I are in the Father's family. He has adopted us into his family. And that should give us a certain posture in the world, how we relate to the world. I'm known by the creator. I'm an adopted child. If I'm sick, I can have confidence that God knows how my body works and what it needs. If I have relationship struggles, either friendship struggles or marital struggles, I can have confidence that relationships were God's idea in the first place and that he can help. If I'm in physical peril, actual in the moment physical peril, I can have confidence that God sees it, he knows about it, and he can help. One of the great psalms in this is Psalm 18, where David describes, he says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And that's where David describes how the Lord descended and how smoke came from his nostrils, and he got his quiver and his bow and came to rescue David and and pluck him up out of his peril. We may look at our circumstances and see very little chance of anything good happening, very little chance of a good outcome. On paper, there may seem no way out of the kind of things that we struggle with. It's a simple equation. This plus this equals this. But God is always the X factor in our lives. God is always the X factor in the circumstances of our lives. And we don't know how he is going to rewrite the equation. We just know that he will. 
And we can have confidence that because God is the X factor, our hope is not in vain. Amen? Third part is we are not alone. We are not alone. A couple of verses from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. A couple of years ago, um, sometime before COVID, uh, we, as a church, went through Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God. And there's a great chapter in there. If you still have the book, if you went through it and you still have the book, I encourage you to go back and revisit it. But there's a chapter called Never Alone. And in it, he talks about an experience that he had with some prisoners. It's a, it's a short passage. I'm going to read it in full. But Dallas Willard says, A little group from a college that I attended used to hold religious services on Thursday evenings for the inmates at a county jail located about 30 miles east of Chattanooga, Tennessee. The people in prison there were not hardened criminals, but quite ordinary men who were serving short sentences of several months to a year for minor offenses. Isolation from their friends and families caused them to suffer acutely. They really seemed to look forward to our weekly visits, perhaps more for the singing than anything else. In our group was a young lady who was a beautiful Christian as well as a fine musician. She would play the accordion and the men would join in enthusiastically in the songs and hymns. There was one song in particular that they rarely, if ever, failed to request called Never Alone. And the verse is, I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And the inmates would swing into the course with all the pathos of desperate men contemplating their last hope on earth. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Especially in prison, you would want to know that somebody is looking out for you and that you are not alone. But even outside of prison, we all experience that. We have many experiences of loneliness in life. And even when we're surrounded by other people, we can still feel lonely in our lives. And sometimes we experience things that we think that nobody could possibly understand or identify with us. In, and that makes us feel alone as well. But when God was born on earth as a baby, he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy that Emmanuel would come. And Emmanuel means God with us. God is with us. He was with Israel in the wilderness. He was with Israel in exile. He's been with his church in the abiding presence of his spirit. And he's with us now. I don't know why I thought of this when I was working on my sermon, but I did. So about a month ago, there was a great outcry against further development of artificial intelligence out of the fear that chatbots and other AI might become conscious or sentient, make their own goals, which would lead to the extinction of humanity. 
And there were huge headlines on all the major news outlets about this. Did anybody catch that? So there's great concern about this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. God is present with us. He's guiding and growing his church. The Son intercedes for us. Is God really going to allow the extinction of humanity by a glorified chatbot? Not a chance. Not a chance. Whatever the headlines trumpet as the next big threat, whether it's AI or nuclear war or climate change, whatever it is, always remember that the Father has a vested interest not only in our survival, but in our maturity and our growth from generation to generation. I've said before, I think it was a couple years ago when we were in the book of Second Peter, this world might be around for a couple hundred thousand or even million years. The only reason we think it could end suddenly is that our attention span is very short. And God's attention span is not short. And if God's people are here on earth for a million years or so, they will never be alone. And God will be with them then as he is now. And besides, the copier still jams every other day in my office. And so I have no faith that technology is going to doom the human race. So wrapping up, we are personally cared for by the maker and sustainer of all things. And we are never alone. You can bank on it. And you want to be careful not to fight on two fronts. When you're going through difficult times, you don't want to fight on two fronts. You don't want to fight the difficulty and your doubts about whether God sees and cares and is with you. That is something that you want to have embedded in your heart so that then you can face the trial, the testing by trials of various kinds. You can face that in faith. A house divided will not stand if you're fighting on those two fronts. Be assured that God cares for you. He wants to help and he's able to help, even if it doesn't feel that way. Remember that even as Elisha's servant panicked at the sight of the enemy, he was surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. And it's often like that with us. We're often surrounded by God's grace and help, and we're just not aware of it. We don't perceive it. So I leave you to ask this question of yourself. Do I really believe it? Do I really believe that I am personally cared for by the maker and sustainer of all that there is and that I am never alone? If you do believe it, lean further into that conviction and strengthen yourself in it every day. But if you don't quite believe it, if you have doubts, if you have questions, ask the Father to help you in your unbelief. Ask the Father to help you. He already knows. He's not mad about it. The dad who asked Jesus to help him in his unbelief received Jesus' mercy and grace. And God will help you too because he can and because he wants to. Amen? Amen. Amen.